There's a lot of information out there regarding burnout and injuries. And as much as you try to convey this information to parents and athletes and or uh, organizations, it's the whole, well, that happens to other people theory. So when it actually happens to one of the athletes, it's just that's just bad luck when in reality it's bad practice. And a lot of students I'm noticing, they're burnt out of, say, strength and conditioning at 17 because they'd already been doing it for five or seven years. And I'll have kids come in in grade nine say, I can never do another ladder. This sort of training before they're mentally ready to actually do it and the boredom that it causes them by the time they're 17 and 18, when you're really going to see athletes take off, uh, is really unfortunate to me which is disturbing because we lose a lot of them just when they're getting good at it. And most athletes, as you would know, you you see a rise in talent as you age in in the early 20s, especially, I notice. So if you're getting burnt out at 16, 17 and 18, in most cases, these kids didn't get to see their potential. It is time to do something about inactive populations. From physical literacy to policy change to youth sport, education, and business development, we are a collective of smart and experienced servant leaders ready to take a stand. Welcome to the Quality Coaching Collective Podcast. It is time for action. Hello, my name is Martin Reeder. I'm a 2012 Canadian Beach Volleyball Olympian, Nike trainer, an athlete entrepreneur on a mission to positively shift the future. I will be your host as we speak with members of the collective to gain insight, challenge the status quo, and share our passion for improving health and sport culture. So clear your mind, grab a notebook, and let's dive into this episode. Welcome to the Quality Coaching Collective podcast. Today's guest is Wendy Reinen-Glover. She's a coach and phys ed teacher with interests in athlete leadership, physical literacy, and long-term athlete development. Also a mentor coach for the Coaches Association of Ontario. Welcome, Wendy. Hi, how are you doing, Martin? Fantastic. Really excited to dive in here with you. Uh, First and foremost, where are you calling from today? London, Ontario, Canada. So we're just a straight shot down the the 401 from you. I look absolutely f- nice and close. <laughs> nice and close. I look forward to coming and, and visiting. Hopefully, that's in April for that uh, coaches conference. Um, sliding into something a little bit more specific, um, I'd love to hear three words you use to define yourself, just to give the audience and the, and the QC a little bit of a deeper dive into who you are. Uh, I would say I'm innovative, uh, passionate, and a servant. In what way are you innovative? I love that. I haven't heard that one yet. Um, I have work in a high school setting, and uh, I definitely like to see the students in the community a lot more than they necessarily would be in a regular high school setting. So I created a program for student athletes where they can be in the program um, and also be in the community spreading good information about physical literacy, long-term athlete development and coaching concepts to our entire city. 
That's amazing. And, and how many athletes have come through your program? Uh, we're over about 220 now. And the first ones through the program are starting to finish their university or college pathways, um, mid-20s. And, and now I'm seeing them uh, make um, strides in their professional lives. Amazing. And are they able to come back around and give back to the community that you started and, and lead that next generation? Or is there any touch point there? Absolutely. So uh, they contact me in varying amounts. So some it is more often than others and in all kinds of areas. So I have former student athletes uh, coaching very high levels of sport. Um, some are in universities as professors writing policies for government and um, uh, PSOs, that sort of thing. So now I'm actually starting to see the fruits of the labor early on. Uh, where I had always dreamed it would go. That's so exciting. I, I've often wondered what uh, a physical literacy program would look like in a high school to give back or for them to go into the communities or elementary schools and, and teach that. And there it is. There's that program. So certainly a, a, a nice couple years of cohorts in now coming back around. That's that's exciting stuff, Wendy. Congratulations. Thank you. It is. It's been worth it. Absolutely. And uh, very timely, as uh, we're about to dive into here. Um, we spoke a little bit about a few different things that you do as well as this uh, this project, but how would you describe your occupation? Uh, well, what I do is I take exercise science concepts um, with the senior students in the school. And within that, as I said, there's this community piece that we reach through co-op education, uh, they gain certifications throughout the school year. Most graduate with between 15 and 22 certifications directly through the NCCP, um, High Five, First Aid, CPR, uh, various certifications that enable them to contribute in the community quickly. Some are officiating, um, lifeguards, that sort of thing. And... Um, what they do is they make a difference somewhere. So that that's the goal. So they're not just passively getting through school. It, they, they have to be active members in their community through sport, health, and wellness um, in some way. So it's, it sounds to me like you're taking a lot of your life and learnings and sharing that with them, and you have so much to give. How did you get to your current levels of, of expertise? Can you share just a little bit about your backstory prior to this? Sure. So this actually has been quite a long time coming, which it, to get to this point. So I had always been involved in sport, being a very multi-sport athlete uh, growing up, and had always been very involved with the local YMCA and became a lifeguard, taught a lot of sports, through the YMCA from 15 years old and up. And then I went into university. I was a university-level athlete. I was also a provincial-level track athlete. Um, but I played university soccer, so I understand the value of being a multi-sport athlete. Uh, as I went through school, I studied kinesiology and child development and eventually became a teacher and have spent years with basically young children from kindergarten and all the way through high school as a phys ed teacher. So I've witnessed um, the varying ages and how they respond to sport and exercise. And uh, through my 30s, I had children 
and witnessed their experiences in youth sport and became very frustrated in this environment. Uh, I sat on various governing bodies uh, within the sport and again became very frustrated with the lack of knowledge and or uh, follow through with appropriate policies. And I was also very frustrated with working with adults who were very close-minded and um, unknowingly ignorant uh, about ways of uh, approaching youth sport. So I decided to educate teenagers because I knew they would turn into adults. And I thought we'd work from the ground up instead of adults down. And I've found great uh, reward in that. And uh, as I said, I witnessed my children go through youth sport the children in the school environment and how youth sports has blown up in my 19 years of teaching compared to where it was when I started. And I, I would like to see some, um, it be brought down to a more rational level is my goal. And so this is why this program was developed over nine years ago. I started to see the trend and um, have spent a long, a lot of the nine years gaining as many certifications and courses as I, I have uh, come across to try to educate myself further um, besides just my own sport background and teaching background. I wanted to be a better practitioner. All of that sounds fantastic. There's, there's so much rich knowledge there and, and life experience. You said something that I'd love to jump back to and just take a little dive in. Blown up. Can you just dive in that a little bit more and let's expand that concept just because I, I want to know where you're coming from because you've seen so much and experienced so much. I think I have a feeling I know where you're going with it, but let's dive in. Well, when I first um, started at, in high school 14 years ago, uh, it was very rare to have a club coach prevent athletes from playing other sports within the school setting. Uh, unfortunately now that's the norm. So if you're playing a sport at the highest level, such as your AAA hockey or your L1 soccer, those kids are often not allowed to play other sports within the school. Um, I've also seen the strength and conditioning that didn't used to start until kids were 14, 15, around that puberty age. Now I'm seeing uh, nine and 10 year olds doing sled pushes and Olympic lifts and all this sort of thing. Uh, within our community alone, just in London, we did not have many strength and conditioning coaches uh, 15, 20 years ago. They were through um, large facilities, uh, local large facilities. Now there's boutique gyms everywhere. Um, and so the youth industry, I feel, has become very lucrative uh, in regards to how much sports cost the travel involved, the amount of time that it takes for children to participate in these sports at a young age. And the overlapping of the seasons, in my opinion, is unhealthy. Um, and the demands of the highest level of coaches on kids under 14 is, is usually extremely inappropriate in my experience. And I work with athletes every single day of various dozens of different sports. Um, so I know it happens across many sports, not just one in particular. Are there any repercussions that you're seeing from those demands on, on the earlier ages? 
Absolutely. So uh, obviously there's a lot of information out there regarding burnout and injuries. And as much as you try to convey this information to parents and athletes and or uh, organizations, it's the whole, well, that happens to other people theory. So when it actually happens to one of the athletes, it's just, that's just bad luck. When in reality, it's bad practice. And a lot of students I'm noticing, they're burnt out of, say, strength and conditioning at 17 because they'd already been doing it for five or seven years. And I'll have kids come in in grade nine say, I can never do another ladder. This sort of training before they're mentally ready to actually do it and the boredom that it causes them by the time they're 17 and 18, when you're really going to see athletes take off, uh, is really unfortunate to me which is disturbing because we lose a lot of them just when they're getting good at it. And most athletes, as you would know, you, you see a rise in talent as you age in, in the early 20s, especially, I notice. So if you're getting burnt out at 16, 17 and 18, in most cases, these kids didn't get to see their potential. Agreed on all accounts. I, I love it. And it's tough to argue that considering you're spending a lot of time with those athletes and I'm seeing it from, from my angle where I'm, I'm at an arm's length, but considering you're in the trenches, that's, that's powerful stuff, Wendy. That's great. Um, what problem or issue understanding what we just spoke about, are you trying to solve or, or what theory are you trying to prove through, through, let's say your program or your work? Um, the problem of uh, too much too soon too young and inappropriately for their developmental age. Um, There is all kinds of pressures on these children in school and through sport now. And I feel like I'm seeing a rise in not necessarily participation in sport. What I'm seeing is overscheduled children in one or two sports rather than um, a healthy participation in many. So we see a rise in obesity and lack of physical literacy. So by the time they get to us in high school, they're embarrassed of uh, their lack of physical literacy. They don't want to take phys ed. Um, They're perturbed by the environment of phys ed. And um, I don't see how um, mental health is being affected by not having these outlets a lot of, for kids to be active and healthy and outdoors and that sort of thing. So because we've overscheduled them too much too young, a lot of them just don't want to do it. Like the quitting age apparently is around 13, and, and I see that. Um, it doesn't seem to be as fun for them, so why would they go back, their children? So the professionalization of the youth environment is very disturbing. Um, so as a teacher who's been in elementary school, I can't imagine, uh, teachers of children, uh, nine, 10 and 11 being in that, a high stress environment that some coaches put them through. So why would they go back? Wow. Um, understanding that's, that's the issue that you're looking to resolve. What, what would success on the other side look like for you and and for the community in general? Well, I would like to see a more rational approach to youth sport. And I'm a little bit frustrated on how we can tackle this problem because the literature is out there. Um, There are 
people putting policies in place to try to change us, for example, Canada soccer uh, with the mini fields and limiting travel, et cetera, they tried. And uh, Jason DeVos is excellent in this area. However, you'll still see zealot parents that uh, balk at the system and they'll go to an academy setting perhaps or private skills coaching. They'll still overschedule them at strength and conditioning. They'll still have private tutors trying to um, make them, you know, overachievers and everything. And to me, that's un unnecessary pressure too young. And the odd one trickles through the Tiger Woods effect, like the odd one it works for. So that's kind of the model everyone follows if they're that involved is, well, it might work for mine. And if it doesn't, oh, well. Um, but I'm sure you know as well as I do, only one to five percent of people ever make sport at the level that we have. And the other 95 percent, what, what's happened to them in their childhood? And, and that's what's disturbing to me. So we need to make changes to educate parents and the community because it's the actual organizations and governing bodies that allow the overscheduling to happen. Um, but again, these are based on volunteers who have a very difficult time to, um, which is a role that I had for several years, to actually try to enforce any of these rules. They're, they're, they're all volunteers, so they don't really feel that their rules are enforceable. So, I I love that you've you put in the communication to the to the families and the parents. I think that's that's huge, and it's. I really do believe the champion starts at home, and and the parents to to be demonstrating positive behavior and being positive proxies for their children versus putting that crazy pressure on them or overbooking them in the S and C, which is, it's just so nuts for me, but you know, that's, that's where we're at right now. It's wild. It actually really is. It's, I, I at a loss for how to regroup and backtrack. Um, I, I'm really hoping the Quality Coaching Collective can do this, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to be a part of it. Um, they're uh, big change makers involved, and uh, I would like to see the youth landscape and sport um, be governed and policed a little better just for the protection of the kids. Fantastic. And you actually stole two words from my, my next question, which is essentially a deeper look like the, the issue or the problem we're facing in the youth landscape today. Like, let's let's go a little bit bigger picture. And I'm really looking forward to discussing this with you because you're around youth so much. You know, what what is is there a deeper issue or, or problem that that's lying in, in what we're talking about right now? Do you think? Um. Yeah, like something that is related to what I do is obviously because I'm a teacher, I'm in the setting of an academic setting. And I, as much as I love high standards for children, I do. Uh, I find that um, we're trying to make everybody good at everything. And so you you have to be good at math. You have to be good at science. You have to be good at English. You have to be good at sport, one sport, maybe two. Um, and what I've noticed is we... That's kind of the exact opposite of what we do once they leave school. So you don't have to be good at everything to, to once you leave um, high school. It, it's actually, in fact, the opposite. You try to get quite good at one thing. So either your role on your sport team, if you're a 
you know, a defender or your role in a school in post-secondary, you don't take all of those subjects anymore. You may take one such as kinesiology or you become an accountant. So you're good at one thing. But I find with the kids uh, in the school setting, they're just so pushed to be good at everything, including sport. And as I mentioned earlier, I see the burnout and them not reaching their potential in in certain aspects um, because they simply can't do all these things with all the hours of every day. And youth sport is part of that problem because a lot of them will uh, resent that um, commitment because it used to be, you know, two or three days a week and now it's six. It used to be a four month or five month season. Now they're year round. So at some point something has to give. So what is it going to be? Is it going to be the sport? Is it going to be an academic or is it mental health uh, and or any of the above? So um, I see this as multifaceted. There's no one way to solve this. You can't just look at the youth sport because it, it's streamed its way uh, into more than just sport. You you said the word push, which I, I love. They're getting pushed where do you think that push is coming from? Because certainly teachers, you know, they're not sitting on top of them all all the time. Obviously, you want someone to succeed, but is there a systemic push? Is there? There's been an evolution of sport or youth development or young person development. Like, where is that push coming from? Uh, unfortunately, it's from the parents. Um, the and I I do a lot with coach education. Um, and speak with coaches constantly and help with coach development, the coaches want to do the right thing. The majority of coaches want to learn. But what happens is the pushback from the parents that either try to get coaches fired or try to create um, stress within the team or um, demand too much from the coach uh, in regards to you should be doing this and you should be doing that in the parents have elevated all of these settings that I've discussed to an unhealthy level. It's like an over competitive parent because I promise you it's not the kids. When, if, if you ask kids who should play in certain situations, should we have fair play time with kids under 12, all these sorts of issues that come up, the kids are always fair. Uh, And when they're not, it's, it's the parent isn't far behind. And so it, it, when we grew up, we trusted more what the coaches were doing. And that doesn't mean that it was always the right thing to do because we've come a long way in a, in coach education, but it wasn't such a pressure from outside in, um, for people to behave in a certain manner. So, uh, uh, unfortunately it is the parents. So when we say educate the parents, we try, but then they age out they're going to age out of the system. So as their children age, they age out or they become disengaged and they're only focused on their child. So it it has to be more than just educating the parents. I believe we educate the athletes, in my opinion. So the more we educate athletes at those critical ages, between 12 and 18, they can speak to their parents what they've learned. Um, And as, as you know, adolescents, quite enjoy critical thinking and challenging and talking uh, about their own opinions. So if they were um, wise, uh, that's what would be happening on their teams and on their, at their dinner tables. So one thing I would love to see is more athlete development education through sport, 
like through the athletes themselves, they're the ones living it and training and feeling it. They love learning about it. You're firing me up. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And it it sounds like there's a lot of that already happening through your LEAP program. Mm -hmm. How do you communicate to your kids to tackle that problem? Because I'm very interested in providing parents with education and I I love the thought of it being athlete or their the child directed to to resolve that issue of that heavy pushing. Well, that that's kind of the whole purpose is we I had a number of years where I tried to do parent education um, coach or teacher to parent and you would get a lot of comments well I bet you if I sat on Google long enough I could find a lot of people to argue what you say. Okay. So I, I became frustrated with that. So as I said, I went back to kids and I thought, well, let's kids educate kids. So we actually hold athlete development conferences here for other athletes. I bring in sports psychologists, uh, physiotherapists from Team Canada. Um, we bring in all kinds of people. We bring athletes in and we educate the athletes to go back to their teams and share their information. Uh, we do events on PD days for other athletes. When we do train our athletes here in regards to these concepts, they do go back to their club teams. They are coaching in their communities and they are working from the ground up. So it does work. Um, They are doing it and the kids on their teams and that they're involved with actually really love to learn it. They'll ask for more. Can I have more about how I should eat on tournament days and et cetera Um, or goal setting or some mental skills training? Um, when they're hearing it from each other rather always than always from an adult, they're quite open to it. Right on. Um, we, we've gone deep inside of, uh, that, that parent issue. Um, I'm looking for a myth now or a misconception that you frequently come across in your area. Now this can live anywhere, but I'm just really interested in a myth that, people have bought into that isn't necessarily correct uh, or they're they're saying something that really is leading them astray for either athletes, parents, or, or culture? Uh, definitely the single sport athlete and that you have to do that sport so much, the I can't be left behind um, theory, the myth that uh, if you're not the best at eight-year-old, as an eight-year-old, you're really, you have no chance now or by 10. I have witnessed kids who were the best at six, seven, and eight remain the best. So that myth does happen and they will love to focus on that one Tiger Woods who, as I say, that's the world-renowned example. But even within our community, we have seen people, single sport athletes, overscheduled, overtrained, become um, Team Canada members. So the, the myth gets um, reinforced in that manner. But I have also seen the exact opposite. The best kids, youngest, burn out, get injured. Um, I don't like the word quit, so we'll call it redirect their interest to something else. And I have also seen plenty of kids play lower level, um, play multi-sport, be very well-rounded, relaxed in sport, laid-back parents, make Team Canada as well. So recently I worked with a boy who uh, made the Team Canada U18 basketball team. He's only been playing basketball for two years. Two years. So can you explain that to me? He played elementary school basketball. He actually played a high level of soccer, but he got too big, 6'7". 
by grade 10. So that helps. And uh, he decided to pick up basketball in club in high school. And he made Team Canada after grade 10. What's his name? I don't, Malachi Nadir. I didn't want to sell him out, but yeah, Malachi. No, so no, th- this is a positive. This, this, that's amazing, yes. and I, I'm personally going to look into it. And uh, yes. if there's an opportunity to have a conversation with him, that would be amazing because these stories are stories of success that that need to be shared because you know they're like you said. There's that one athlete. There's the Tiger Woods. There's the exception of the rule, but. Yes. Right across the board, we, we yep. can't be idolizing those examples because we're, we're losing too many people. And, and in Canada, our sample size is just too small. We can't be playing the numbers game. Well, that's just it. It's, it becomes where when I can only speak for myself because you're much younger than me. But when I grew up, sport was literally for the love of the game. Like you just played sports and all of a sudden you're 15 or 16. You're like, actually, I'm kind of good at this, I guess. Uh, maybe I can play at the next level and the old scholarship comes through here or there. Uh, that's not now. The opposite is true. So they're starting sport with the idea that you might get a scholarship. And so let's do all these things to put in place so that you can get a scholarship or become pro. And this is actually how they speak to us, uh, their parents, the kids. Um and to me, it's like, do you understand that it's under 5% and in some sport it's like under 1% of that will ever move on to that next level? But they have, they're like, yep, there's that chance. So it's been frustrating to see that change in sport culture to about oneself making the next level instead of living in the moment, enjoying the experience, playing for your team, um, playing for each other exploring sport for the sake of exploring and um it it, the the shift of uh elitism or the use of the word elite uh inappropriately and uh the guys that if you just make the right team at the right time it's all going to work out for you that's obviously that's not how it works you have to be able to play your sport or play that game at the next level doesn't matter what team you're on before that Mm -hmm. And again, it goes back to educating. Um, And like I said, I get frustrated trying to educate parents because they just haven't experienced it themselves and or worked with other athletes that have gone through systems. So they only have the experience to draw from that they're living in currently. And and it's very short-sighted. I'm almost thinking of we need to start a counterculture of getting kids to enter sport late <laughs> Absolutely. so, so, so they, they outlast everybody else who just burnt out for 10 years as, as terrible as that sounds. But, you know, I, I'm starting to have a lot of really deep dialogues with my friends and, and Olympians and pro athletes who I, I've had the pleasure to get to know. And none of them were specialized athletes. So my, my age cohort in their early thirties, mid thirties, no one was a specialized athlete until later and even then they loved playing everything else i mean we're all athletes true athletes um and so i i think these stories much to the point of of your the athlete that you coached who entered basketball with two years and made team canada which is amazing those stories need to be heard and i i really truly believe that we're hurting that next gen right now and it's it's tough to see yeah, it is. It's tough to see. And as I said, there's lots of issues that come across uh, our desk. And 
this one just happens to be a passion for me because I, I literally loved sports more than anything growing up. And the fact that they've, the, the whole industry has been kind of, in my opinion, poisoned. Um, it's really disturbing because it's really supposed to be an amazing place for kids to grow up. And it isn't, um, it's very hit and miss, which, you know, and unfortunately I, I don't know how we bring it back. Cause as I've witnessed Canada soccer tried and it just, even in our town alone, the price for academies, like we've, we haven't even talked about how the affordability issue, um, for certain sports uh, and how much that's changed. Um, the tournaments being so far and thousands and of dollars for tournaments and certain teams registration. So are we really supporting an elitist um, financial um, group now? So that's another thing that bothers me is uh, we're, it seems to be that we're favoring those who have money over those who are actually good enough. So I see certain other models like the Minnesota hockey model where they will allow you to play the highest level through your school. Um, There may be a way to reintegrate you sport through school. I know in other countries that they do that or there's a cap on how much you're allowed to charge. Um, I know in certain countries or I believe Finland, it's $400 to play um, on some of these sports teams at the highest level. Uh, government funds so they don't lose uh, athletes due to financial constraints so I would love to see this problem tackled in a big way rather than piecemeal which I feel like uh, in the position that I'm in as a teacher I actually have a job so it's not me that's going to make this change it's who can I empower to actually go devise a plan make a career of something and actually go do it um, because as I said, I, I know that I'm only one person and my voice doesn't necessarily have the ability to make a massive change, but someone will. Let's try to get a couple of retweets on, on this podcast when it's out. We'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, we, we touched upon the season length and, and I'd love to go back to that. Because I also believe that every sport is now just so long that the opportunity really doesn't exist or it's very challenging for athletes to play multiple sports. Do you have any thoughts on, on season length or what it might be to, like to, to change that or, or resolve that issue? Uh, I, absolutely, I do. I sat on a couple governing bodies at one time and was trying to prevent the hockey uh, um community from having tournaments prior to Labor Day and preseason tournaments, for example, to allow the children under 13 to finish their baseball and soccer seasons by allowing them to play in their playoffs and their OBA events and baseball, etc. And it worked for a little bit and um, not all of the bodies would get on board at the same time. So I, I really don't understand why we start hockey prior to Labor Day, but we finish prior to March break. But you can't start those soccer and baseball seasons till May 1st. So there's that window where we can actually mandate no hockey until after Labor Day when the kids go back to school and let them all finish their Uh, summer sport therefore reinforcing a multi-sport athlete so I actually tracked the numbers Uh, over seven years I tried to track these numbers of kids who were playing summer sport 
uh, nine, uh, U9, U10, 11, 12, and who, um, so out of say 17 kids on a team, you may have 12 playing a summer sport, um, at the U9 age group, five years later, you had three literally. So now they're not even at nine year olds. Like you can definitely see a drop off of a multi-sport athletes, say at 13. That's not what I'm arguing, arguing why are 10 year olds not playing multi-sport throughout the season. So what I would like to see is, um, definite start and end dates, which we clearly have in school sport. We have definite start and end dates that are mandated that you have to follow. Um, and therefore kids would be more willing and able to play three seasons a year if they were mandated only four months long, uh, or two seasons at six months or something reasonable. Um, but as I said, it, it has to be a policy that's enforced and usually these are positions of volunteers that don't enforce it. Whereas in a school system, they're enforced. I love it. That's great thoughts. And how amazing would that be if we could get three seasons for kids to play different sports? That would just be fantastic. It would. Mm-hmm. So moving into a little bit more personal, you've shared so much and I I truly feel your passion coming through, but what are some of the core values that you stand for, Wendy? Um, definitely uh, playing sport and being involved in sport for the right reason and doing it in a developmentally appropriate way. Um, it's very important to me that uh, sport is an extension of appropriate behavior of humans. So uh, a lot of things we deal with is communication, conflict, resolution, uh, learning to mediate, how do you speak to children, age-appropriate um, dynamics within a team, training principles that are age-appropriate. Um, I'm disturbed with what I hear a lot of coaches tell children that is just strictly inaccurate. Uh, so, for example, they'll tell somebody who has not gone through puberty yet, um, that's, say, a boy in hockey, they may say, well you're just too small for the sport. You're never going to be quite good enough or fast enough. So, um, you may just look at another sport or just, and, and unfortunately that's just simply not true. And until kids have gone through, um, developmental stages, it's really hard to, uh, pinpoint their talent, um, future, like potential. So I, I, a value that is important to me is that information is correctly in, coaches hands and that they are coached or mentored on how to be better at it. So it's, I don't like the practice of trying to remove coaches or because as you know, they're volunteers and it's hard to find. Uh, I, I really highly value mentorship and that I believe most people, um, would like to improve and as naive as that may be. And that if they just had some education on some key concepts, um, that we would see definite benefit in, um, in youth sport, that they just have more education. So how do you bring that forward? Is there a platform that you use at your school? Do you have a website? Like how, how could someone technically access that information and how do you bring that forward? Well, that's actually a problem I'm trying to solve. So I have had, I do have some websites. They go up and down as I uh, uh, 
use them. So I do www.developathletesconsulting.com, but that is mostly for myself and um, just kind of articulating what I'm able to help somebody with. And in, in reality, my students get it through this program that they're in and in hopes that they're sharing it with their sport communities that are sport specific. But each governing body actually has great resources. If you went to the Canada Soccer website or the Hockey Canada, they have information there. It's just people don't access it or they don't know how to find it or are too busy or lacking time or just um, apathetic to go find it. So like you said, we need to have a way to bring the proper information to everyone. And that's why I think there should be uh, athlete development specialists employed. So you have physiotherapists that are very knowledgeable on athletic injuries. You have sports dietitians, nutritionists that can bring information regarding nutrition. You have uh, sports psychologists sharing information, but nobody gathers all the disciplines together. And that's, that's a sticking point for me is uh, I believe that that title is an athletic development practitioner that actually needs to be a hireable person or um, someone that organizations, say lacrosse, basketball, soccer, can reach out to to actually get more information. I love it. It's it's funny because I'm having the same conversations in my mind. Um, I, I firmly believe, and, and where I'm sitting at right now, as I really put more effort into helping evolve the sport and, and youth health culture, is that we're so infatuated with high performance and getting people to perform at a higher level earlier that we have fundamentally not provided a foundation for the human being to perform. Everyone's just all about said high performance and comparing those notes and those skills and how high can you jump and how fast is your 40-yard time and all that kind of stuff at earlier and earlier ages, which... You know, that's not even talking about age-appropriate behavior and testing, but there's not the skill set at an earlier age now to help that human being deal with those extra pressures and to to provide them the the tools and the skill set to to become successful at life versus just that single sport, which hopefully they don't burn out at at 15, 16, 17. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I believe that's kind of called holistic athlete development. So it's that whole piece where they're a human and the athlete is second. Um, I had a student that I was working with, again, a Team Canada member, um, who was very worried about missing calculus. And when this person is uh, was in the NHL draft and at an NHL training camp, and I'm thinking, you might make an NHL team. It's intriguing to me that you're worried about calculus right now. And, um, but in reality, that is what he was concerned is, uh, and, and a good concern, uh, in case he doesn't continue on in hockey, gets injured, etc. He could actually see the bigger picture. And for whatever reason, this was a concern. So normally, like you said, we're worried about the skill set. We're worried about the food. We're worried about, uh, this. Um, but there's also the, the human piece And every single child, whether they're a high-performing athlete or a regular athlete, high school athlete, um, house league, there's more to them than the sport. And we can't forget that part because it's a huge part. 
that's life. I mean, at, at the end of the day, the journey within sport will end. Mm-hmm. And and what I'm seeing now and I, what I'd love to see resolved, and, and this is a goal of mine, is is a culture around I'm an Olympic athlete, I'm a pro athlete, and I've developed this skill set. I can transfer that in a second to another discipline. Boom. Absolutely. Versus I've spent my whole life in sport, but I don't know how to do anything else. I'm lost. Yeah. And I can't figure out my life. You're an Olympic champion. You have innumerable skill sets that if you understood early in the game how to transition that into life it would be just a mentality switch later on in the career after the career but we don't start that conversation early sport is life so i amen to that love love that point and i've been excited for this question for you here wendy because you have so much energy and i know that there's going to be a great story on this but can you share a tale or a moment that really captures why you love what you do? Um, I'm going to focus on one that is the athlete leadership piece that I talked about earlier. And uh, I wanted to teach the students to care about more than just themselves. So I decided to focus on the local children's hospital in London. And we decided to bring Canada's first dance marathon through Miracle Children's Miracle Network um, to Canada. And so I ran it with a bunch of teenagers, and in our first year, we made 18000 And we were, like I said, the first uh, school in Canada to try this. This was four years ago. So we uh, had a template, and we built on it, and we did it a second year, and a third, and a fourth. Uh, and in four years, we have made $100,000 for our local children's hospital, at least um, – I'm going to guess 160 athletes have learned how to do this event. And I've just found out that now there are over 50 high schools and universities in Canada that have copied our template and ran an event. So now there are 50 people, 50 schools and universities raising money for local children's hospitals in the way that we started it. So I feel that taught the kids that you can actually make a massive change if you just try something once and and then see where it can go. Um, I would like to see this leadership program that I do through high school. There's nothing more I would like to see it than modeled and, and stolen, take it, I'd give it to all kinds of schools and communities across Canada because I believe in this model of of teenagers and their enthusiasm and their critical thinking and their willingness to try something uh, outlandish even to actually make a difference. They're not willing to just follow the status quo like an adult may be. They actually are willing to risk something to make a positive change. And because they're athletes that have just lived what we've talked about for the last 45 minutes, they love having a hand in possibly changing it. So I would like to see this model um, developed and spread um, for other teenagers to benefit uh, from what what I know would help their communities. Well, I would love to help you in any way, shape, or form with that mission. And uh, you're you're bang on. I think impacting that cohort of kids that's just coming into high school and out of high school 
if we're going to think long term for change, we need to start with the future, and and that's mm-hmm. it, right? Those are the the impressionable, the energized, the the hopeful individuals, and uh, so much change can happen through them. So, unbelievable story. A congratulations, fifty schools, and and I'm sure that's not the end of it. So, huge change there. That's great, and uh, I'm with you on making an impact with those kids. Thanks. Yeah. Now, shifting a little bit more to the Quality Coaching Collective, um, why did you want to be a part of the QCC? Um, because I wanted to be part of people who uh, felt passionate about something that I did. I wanted to be working with people who were uh, smarter than me in a sense of uh, more academic achievement, master's, PhDs. I love learning. Uh, I love researching, and I dedicate probably about two hours a day um, to, to learning and reading and, um, trying to understand my profession and my impact further and to, to just be around people that actually make things happen. Uh, big things happen is very intriguing to me as, as I said, I, in the role that I'm in as a teacher, obviously we, we all have an idea of what that's like in a regular day. So, um, I like being around other people that are out of the bubble that I work in that are actually in the, in the community in a different way. Absolutely. What does the QCC mean to you? Uh, like I said, change makers, uh, servant leadership, um, people that are in the community. So they, they're walking the walk. Uh, they're, they're doing it. They're living it. So the same way as I am, like to me, there's a lot of people that say these things and they don't do anything about it. So a big thing I want to teach the students here is I can't just stand here and complain about, uh, youth sport or coaching or, Uh, athlete development or misinformation, like let's actually do something about it. So that's why I said innovation is one of those words because I would like innovating an environment that can actually make a difference. Um, So I want to be around people who see the possibility of innovating industry as well. That's a popular answer. Let's talk Mm. more action. I dig it. Yeah. Um, What gets you excited about the QCC? Um, that we can actually see something happen. So, uh, as I said, I see little changes with the students I've worked with. So a student, uh, uh, that has gone through my program, she uh, is doing her master's and PhD, wrote a program for, uh, Golf Canada on life skills. And so I see little bits of the work. I have another student uh, doing her master's working at the Fortress Center. She writes athlete development programs for youth out in BC. And so I'm seeing trickles of the work, but I want to see something big. I like what Canada soccer did. I, I really like what Jason DeVos speaks about and teaches and I would love to see something massive um, affect the culture across all the sports or through, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I, I believe if you put all of these minds together, it, we're going to see some sort of positive change more than the status quo because the status quo isn't working. Agreed on all accounts. Uh, you've mentioned Jason Davos a couple times. Is he the president or CEO of Soccer Canada? Yeah, for player development as for, well. So he's um, a, quite a advocate for long-term athlete development, age-appropriate coaching, and um, he's actually from London. And so um, he's a t- he's TSN analyst. Uh, I've a lot of respect for um, 
what he's done and spearheaded in Canada soccer. But as I said, I, I've witnessed with some frustration how people have warped that positive information and made even more academies and high, highly expensive skills development programs and spinoffs of privates. Um, so I, as we mentioned earlier, that the blowing up of the youth sports industry, I've never seen so many people spending so many thousands of dollars on private skills instruction. Um, so as I said, I, I feel like it's a, a, a huge task, but it has to be, it has to be tried to tackle it. Absolutely. Um, what kind of support would you love to receive from the QCC? Um, it, actually, I'd like to pitch some ideas and then have and see somebody pull it off. Um, somebody that has different resources or different networks um, that I just don't have the ability to speak with or um, make a change through. So I say to my students all the time, I give them these ideas, and I said, there's nothing more I would love than to see you make some massive change, and if you just so happen to make a boatload of money doing it, awesome. Um, so... That, that's kind of the thinking is that I don't believe in idea hoarding. Um, I like put ideas out there. If someone wants to, um, I guess, use it, build their own program, sell it. it that's awesome. Cause if it's going to make uh, a positive change in what I'm passionate about and what I know to be true, um, then I I'd like to see that happen. It's not so much for me at all about credit. Uh, it has nothing to do with uh, financial gain because, as I said, I'm a teacher. I, I just see what I see in the youth sports culture. I've sat as an athlete, as an administrator, as a coach. Um, I have a kinesiology degree, child development, and a practitioner. And I just really know that some changes need to happen, and it doesn't have to be me that makes them. I'd really love to just see them happen. I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, hopefully I can uh, listen in on that pitch at one point in time and, and see how uh, we can make some change. Um, last one, and this is the big one. Um, where do you think lies the greatest possible impact for the QCC? Now, we've covered a lot here, so right. um, you, know, you can go anywhere with this one, but uh, you know, think big. Well, like I said, it has to be a policy change. Like if I were to literally think big, so there may be, oh, if the uh, Hockey Canada or the NHL put out a policy, everyone's going to follow it. I actually don't believe that's going to happen anymore. After I witnessed what happened with Canada soccer, I completely believed once they saw rational people put programs into place, I've, I assumed that um, and very naively that people would buy in and, and they didn't. It just created a new industry. So now I'm like, okay, so clearly the governing, uh, like the governing bodies of these single sports can't do it. So we have to go bigger now. So this needs to be a government intervention of some sort. Like there, there has to be something in place where, um, and this is going to sound crazy, which I'm okay with at this point. This is beautiful. Um, this is where I want to go. Because I, this is outlandish in the sense that I feel like at some point some of these kids, it's a, it's a literally a form of child abuse. Uh, for a 9 or a 10-year-old to have 13 workouts in a week, they can't keep their eyes open at school, they're complaining about blisters all over their feet, this, that, and the other. And I'm, I'm thinking, is this literally a new form of child abuse? Like, what's happening? Like, these kids can't even walk at school. Um, 
so I really think I would love to see sport through school. I really would. Uh, and, and governed um, with rigorous standards. Again, I can't foresee how we can pull that off. I would like to see us study other countries and where they're more successful in this area, where they're a little more rational in their approach to youth sport. I love seeing little countries like Iceland and soccer win. Um, and I like to see little countries that have very little athletes um, winning on the world stage, such, such as Finland and hockey. But I, I'm obviously pro Canada, but I'm intrigued by how they pulled that off. And, um, and again, it's as many people in sport for as long as possible in the healthiest environment possible. How do we actually bring that to Canada? Like, how do we actually, and the U.S. as well, like, um, best practices from other nations need to be adopted and implemented. So that's what has to happen. But how that's going to happen, well, that's why I want to join this. Because I think we can do it. It's just a collective of people, which we've gathered or started to gather. It will be the collective of people that come up with this plan. Uh, it won't be a singular person, in my opinion. There's just too many pieces to this puzzle. Agreed 100%. Mm-hmm. Is there anyone on the QCC that you'd love to work with or, or acknowledge before we uh, close down here? Well, to be honest, I've read everybody's bio and I'm fascinated by everyone. I really do believe everybody has uh, different areas and experiences and expertise to bring to the group. And that's why the name is great. It is a collective of what we've all uh come from in life, like from yourself as an Olympian, uh, myself as more of a practitioner, and everybody has a skill set that's unique. But in fairness to Matt and what he's developed in bringing us together and the various businesses he started and actually pulled off means he can make big things happen. And he's uh, quite... Um, a personality in a sense of, yeah, we can actually do this. And he believes he can, and he has pulled off big things, but he's also wise enough to know that why wouldn't you bring in a whole pile of other people who have ideas that are valid and, and can actually work together to pull off something huge. Um, but, but he having already done it to me is quite amazing. I really do believe this is the start of something big, and it's just so exciting. Uh, I'm learning so much in every single conversation and, and can't wait to be a part of it in some way, shape, or form. But to me, it sounds like you need to be a part of a digital summit. You have so much to share, Wendy, and so much energy. And right, where how you started it off with innovation, passion, and, and servant, you are all of those three and then some. So thank you so much for, for your energy. And uh, for sharing so many great nuggets, I can't wait to to cut apart this episode and, and share a lot here. And uh, I look forward to talking with you again soon. I, I'm going to follow up with this, uh, and hopefully in April when I come out to London for that coaching conference, we can we can jam. Absolutely, I can't wait. So we'll see you in April for sure. And uh, some good friends of mine uh, operate some uh, beach volleyball clinics in your area. Or not clinics, clubs. Uh, I yeah. forget the name, but uh, I'm I'm going to look to come for a visit there. So that will likely be before April. So we'll uh, we'll get something in at some point in time, early 2018. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Right on. Thank you so much.